Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> I forgot he was in this. And yeah, so did I. But you, you, you sound like you're doing acting warm-ups. Uh, well, I am because man, his American accent is bad in this. <laughs> okay, but let's get into the episode and say that uh, because it, it's warranted. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Filling in the Gaps. I'm Justin. I'm Darren. Today we're going to be discussing a movie called Existence. Mm-hmm. We are going back to our friend Mr. Cronenberg for a movie I saw a very long time ago. I think this was a blockbuster rental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was working in Blockbuster when this came out. It was 1999 when this came out. I remember we got three copies, three whole copies. So we're obviously really excited by that because less copies meant actually it was a good movie usually oh really <laughs> well i mean when you got like the, the one that had like 50 copies it was like oh it's just a normal run-of-the-mill hollywood trash but it's like oh three copies of something it's like who's this guy oh yeah it's the guy that did rabid and uh scanners like yeah we're in yeah that's i'm trying to think of what i had seen before that i think i had seen naked lunch i still haven't seen that well, I still haven't seen Rabbit, Rabbit or um, what was that one I said? Scanners. Oh, I've seen yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah, the yeah. famous special effects S- scene clips. Yeah, I've not actually watched the whole movie. We did talk about Videodrome before. Mm-hmm. This is basically Videodrome two, almost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two point Yeah. Now into the video game. Yeah, and it is just as much confusing as to what is reality, but even more so. But that's. Very much exactly what this movie is about. Existence deals with, as I said, video games versus TV this time, but very similar concept and done pretty well. In many ways, I kind of like Videodrome more, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it felt more original in Videodrome as opposed to now, this one. When I saw it the first time, I just remember being very confused by this movie. Yeah, I sent you a message saying, wow, watching this again now and taking notes on it, it made a lot more sense and I got more out of it, I think, this time. I think I should have watched it twice the first time and I didn't. There's a lot that doesn't seem to quite make sense the first time around, but the second time around, it was much more clear. Even for me, like the bad acting makes sense now as well which we'll, for the most part we'll end up, yeah which we'll probably end up talking about but yeah yeah the first time i just let it wash over me and we're all like oh man that was a, a really weird movie at the end you know just because we were in it just to watch a cronenberg movie not to pick it apart this is back from 1999 it's roughly what an hour and 37 minutes an hour and a half yeah something like that imdb metacritic about the same 6.8 and 68 uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the critics were about 74%. Fans were about 69%. Sounds kind of fair. Mm-hmm. This is not a movie for everyone. This is also, it's not the best movie. But it is a very interesting concept. I think that it's worth checking out. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably get turned off by this because the acting is weird. And it might be purposely so, but I think so. we, I, we can't really get yeah, into that until yeah. we, we get into the... And not only that, people just don't like Jude Law. The cast seems to be people that people are already divided on, like people that either love Jude Law or hate Jude Law, people that love Jennifer Jason Lee or really can't stand her, people who like Christopher Eccleston or think he's rubbish, you know, as an actor. Yeah, there already seems to be a bunch of guys in this that people would be on the fence about. So strange choice of cast, I think, as well. Do you think so? Yeah. yeah. I think Jude Law at this point 
probably the only thing I had seen him at this point was Gattaca. Right. Yeah. And Jennifer Jason Lee, probably just Fast Times, maybe a couple other things. It does feel like this was a very in-between time for her where she was very popular when she was very young. And then there was this kind of period. And then she got more roles again as she kind of got a bit older for some reason. Right. But I think the problem for me at the time was it felt like a blockbuster rental. It almost felt like a blockbuster original. Do you remember those? Right, yeah. They weren't the best budget. And this one isn't very high budget. There's a lot going on, but I don't really feel like it's high budget. Do you feel that way? No, or? no definitely not. There's a lot when it comes to the lighting and the way things look. And this is also back on a much older TV where it kind of looked even worse. I don't think that it felt as bad watching it this time. But that also might be because I knew what I was getting into this time around. Mm. But it's also 1999, so keep that in mind. But 1999 was also the year that The Matrix was released. Yeah, well, this didn't have The Matrix budget. <laughs> but I mean, it's like, yeah, you can't just blame it on 1999. It's like, yeah, 1999 was pretty cool. Like, well, There was a couple of good movies came out. Well, not a couple. There was a lot of good movies came out in 99. They did not have The Matrix budget, and they did not have uh, Kenny Reeves. Although he could have been in this. You could put almost anybody in this, and <laughs> they would have a spot, I suppose. With that, though, I think it's probably time that we get into the actual movie and spoilers. I would recommend it. I would. Particularly to anyone who wants something that's a bit confusing, a bit mind-bending, and certainly anybody who's into it. If you like Cronenberg movies, then this is definitely another one to check out. It says, inserting weird objects into weird holes in your body, just like all the others. So, with that, if you haven't seen it, you definitely want to, but for the rest of you... Here's the spoiler section. I got, I got a lot of uh, jokes put in here. They're really bad jokes, so please be sure to groan. They're f***ing terrible. Yeah, sure I will. We open with Christopher Eccleston explaining how to spell existence <laughs> in a church. Yeah. E, capital X, I, no, okay. We, we I can get see. It. I have eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot Eccleston and, and Defoe are in this as well. It's like, even right down, it's like, wow, they're in this? Really? I don't remember. I only remember Jude Law and Jennifer yeah, Jason Lee. I didn't remember anybody else. And when I was looking at the opening credits, which go on for like three minutes, I was shocked by the number of names I recognized. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, his American accent is terrible. And yeah. Wait, okay, but we all know we've talked about this before. You've watched The Leftovers. <laughs> Has his American accent improved? It has improved. improved, yes. Definitely has improved. But it's the same accent, but just a little bit better in The Leftovers. <laughs> not much, not much. But yeah, I was thinking about that as well. I was like, why, why are they having... The, it looks like an AA meeting in a church, but it kind of makes sense as to why they have it in there. By the time you finish watching it, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. This is a game test enclave where they are getting a sneak peek into... Existence, the new game by Allegra Geller, yep. played by Jennifer Jason Lee. They refer to her as a game pod goddess. Yeah, and hence the church, because like they, they're worshipping technology, I guess. Jude Law is sort of running security. He has a <laughs> wand yeah. where he can check the ID, but then we find out later he's just a PR guy. He's not even really a security guard, so we have no idea why he's there. There are... Well, it's a room full of people, but only 12 people can plug in at one time where they sit around 
in a semicircle. So I guess the other people can watch, but they're not really watching anything. There's no screen. Yeah. There's no anything. So that part feels a bit weird. They all plug in from one game pod. And I think we need to discuss the game pod. <laughs> the game pod is a fleshy, lumpy mass. A two-headed amphibian. That's what they say in the thing. It's a two-headed, the nervous system of a two-headed amphibian with, what was it they, they said exactly? It was with foreign or exotic DNA inserted. It's an absolute mumbo-jumbo, just like cobbled together idea. As you look at it, it's a weird fleshy lump with... I mean, it does look like a weird N64 flesh controller. It's almost the same shape. It's got like three bits to it. I don't know, I had two bits to it. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. It moves, it wriggles, it groans, it makes noises. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, weird. Sometimes it lights up. Yeah, this is Cronenberg. Yep. Welcome welcome to the movie. <laughs> Very early on, they're all plugged into a bioport. Like you said, same year as Matrix. However, Matrix looked much more clinical. This yeah. one is very much an umbilical cord that you are just shoving into your back. Yeah. And, wow. <laughs> there's a lot that could be said here, but I'm not sure there's a lot that I want to say here. <laughs> it's weird. Sometimes I don't know if Cronenberg does it just to be weird, or if this is just really the way he thinks. This is the way that his imagination works. It would have to be, because it's consistent, isn't it? I mean, it's throughout all of his movies, and even when I was watching this, I was like, okay, when's the really weird part coming? Oh, there it is, you know, when Jude Law puts his tongue into it. It's like, why did he do that? It's like, yeah, because it's Cronenberg, you know, that's why. He's got this fetish, almost, with, like, flesh and holes in our bodies, yeah, that's that's Cronenberg. The latecomer comes in and gets scanned. He said, are you checking for weapons? Jude Law, who we're going to find out is called Ted Peichel. He says, no, we're mostly just looking for recording devices. We don't want anybody to sneak stuff out. He's got an old game pod in his bag, but apparently that's okay. Until, of course, he pulls the gun out of it. Yeah. A gun that is clearly made of bone. Yeah. And as we're going to find later, shoots teeth. So <laughs> I don't know how effective that would really be. It doesn't look that effective because she gets shot. Allegra gets shot by it and she doesn't even seem to mind it. <laughs> but Eccleston got taken out. He did. Yeah, he did. So it I, can be effective, apparently. I did write down here as so I was like, oh, it's <laughs> this is really bad. But oh, it's Bullet Tooth Tony. <laughs> <laughs> There's more, there's more coming. I'm here all night, man. <laughs> Listen, he did warn me. He did warn me that we've got a lot of these jokes ahead. <laughs> this is the difference, I think, when you type it up. Did you add these when you typed it up? As I was going, yeah. They take off. Let's get to them being in the car. Oh, but I guess we should actually talk about the fact that when he is shooting her, the this latecomer with the gun, he mm. says, death to the demoness Allegra Geller. Yeah. That's important because this phrase is used over and over again. Eccleston basically says, get her out of here, keep her safe, trust no one. Yep. And then we're off. We're in the car trying to escape. She takes the gun and she points it at him at one point. He, I think he kind of says, like, that's not funny. She says that the countryside is full of game developers and factories. I think trying to indicate the incredible popularity of what's going on here. And how many game companies there must be. Right. He takes out this phone, which is yet another 
lumpy mask that glows pink. That's and just dumb. That. It, it's, it's called a pink phone, even. This is something I want to save. I wanted to save for the end, but this part just misses. I don't know. It misses the whole point completely. For what he does at the end of the movie, where he's so on the money about something, this part is really like, really, you think this is what the future is? A weird, fleshy, like. Let me play devil's advocate here. Yeah. It is kind of awesome in the fact that this will never be outdated. (laughs) They could have very easily at this point had a flip phone, maybe not even yet. It would have been even just the the old kind of Mm. Nokia tiny brick kind of thing. This pink fleshy phone will never be able to say, well, we don't use those anymore (laughs) because likely we never will. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even have a screen, so why no. would we use it now? Yeah, that's weird. It was just weird. My friend had one. You know that phone from the Matrix that he gets delivered in the package when he's in the office? And you press the button and the thing shoots down. My friend thought it would be really cool to buy one of those, and he did. And it broke in a week. <laughs> this pink phone, probably. That doesn't look like it would ever break. No, it's probably still working by the side of the road. Yeah, yeah. They basically have to get the bullet out which is where they find out that it's a tooth and that even in the ammo chamber there's like three or four more teeth that's right yeah this is also where we find out that pike was a marketing trainee not security they head into a motel where she's in existence almost euphoric as she's there smiling and happy and unhappy when she's not there knowing the end where do we think she is at this point is she playing another game She's in a game, I, I mean, what I would say is, yeah, she's in the game playing another game, yeah. Okay, so would this be the equivalent to a mini game? Probably, <laughs> yeah. Though these are much more intricate mini games than what we typically get with our match threes and our connect the circuits. And Maybe she's in like Yakuza 0 or something like that, she's a karaoke mini game or something like that, I don't know. <laughs> We find out that Ted Peichel has no bio port, which is what they need to insert these umbilical cards. He's never played games. He has a fear of surgical penetration, he says. Yeah. Allegra says that the pod is damaged and she needs to play with somebody friendly to check to make sure that it works. Yeah, she stresses that a couple of times. I, I don't understand why. I'm not sure either. If we want to throw our theory out, though, filling in the gaps a bit, obviously. But I think that If it was somebody who wasn't friendly, then they could corrupt the game or that they could do what essentially happens at the end of the movie. And that's what she's afraid of. Right. I think she knows that that kind of thing is possible. Why she trusts him, I don't know, Mm. because she only seems to half trust a lot of other people. Yeah. Well, he is kind of gormless and he seems innocent enough. Yeah, he seems definitely innocent enough. Yeah. We go to the gas station where country gas station where Willem Gas Defoe. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we find out he's a huge fan and he gives Michael an unregistered bioport. That was weird as well when I was watching this because I was like, wait, he's a huge fan, but he has to, he worships her. He gets down on his knees and kisses her feet. Yes. But he doesn't know what she looks like. He has to like hold up a newspaper clipping next to her and go, yeah, that's you. That's a red flag. Like, that's weird. That doesn't make any sense at all. However, within the context of this movie, you can get away with that. Yeah. Well, I, we're in the spoiler section because we don't know what reality we're in. And we will find out by the end we're not in reality. Yeah. And so in that case, we know that this is probably what the character in the game is supposed to do. Yeah. 
and that helps to match it up and help the player to understand what's going on. Which leads into something I want to talk about, but we need to get to the point where he gives Pykele all the bioport, and then this is where I got a bit confused. If Gas is such this fan, Mm -hmm. and he's kissing her feet, why doesn't she want to play with him? Right. Instead of this guy who's never played before, who doesn't know what he's doing, why does she trust him more than this guy who clearly worships her? Obviously, from what happens, that's the right decision, I guess. But yeah. how do we know? Yeah, It just seemed a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, she seems dead set on getting Pykele into the game when there seem to be so many other better candidates out there. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I, I like this bit because this bit was kind of cute in a sense, when she's like saying, she's talking about her pod and she's like, this cost $38 million to develop. And I was like, I just wrote that and that's, that's really cute. A whole 38 million. It costs more to make GTA five. <laughs> like you did not see the price increase in the future of what video games actually do cost nowadays. Maybe she's an indie dev. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know how far into the future this is supposed to be either. This could be set in an alternate world, 1999. True. Yeah, yeah. Just I just find it, watching this in 2019, and they're complaining about something costing 38 million to develop. Is like, man, Fez probably cost 38 million to develop. No, I didn't, but, um, but you know what I mean. It's like 38 million is peanuts now. I mean, no, and, and she's definitely not an in indie. This is this is like the world's biggest VR game that there is. That's pretty much what they say, isn't it? Is it? We don't know because there's there's two really... there's two companies yeah she's being headhunted as far as we know there are two companies but that comment she made earlier about the countryside is full of developers makes me think that there's actually lots of companies lots of developers and maybe there's not as much money to go around so thirty mm. million is what she's got she's probably also doing most of this on her own she well, trusts she... so few people yeah and she was and she's only got one copy of the game right that perhaps she is in indie dev and the other thing that i thought was that that, makes sense that perhaps she's just she's maybe not the top of the world like i think we're kind of led to believe that but looking at it now i start to feel like she's not maybe top of the world but she is the type of person who has a strong following right so she's like the lucas pope of vr basically or hideo kojima Right. right But yeah, so yeah, that makes sense. Because if if it was me and I'd lost thirty eight million, I would be going crazy about it. Yeah, 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 that, that makes sense. Pykele is temporarily paralyzed from the waist down because he got this bioport put in. Which I love that the gas station attendant just happens to have what they need. Fits with the video game motif. I wrote down in my notes twenty eight minutes time to play because it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. And I didn't realize this is not the time where they get to play. No. So, no, we're not there yet. Because I thought this is where things, for me, would really start to get crazy. Yeah. But, no, <clears throat> Gas comes in. He wants to... Hand over Allegra for a bounty. For five million. Yep. Yeah. And Pykele seems very upset about this. Why would you? You worship her. And it's still five million dollars. Which, yeah. obviously, must be a fair amount. Well, I mean, if the game costs 38, that's that's a good chunk. It seems a bit weird that he would turn on her. But if we look at this as a game, Mm -hmm. the player wants to turn on her. The player wants to do something more. Right. 
the player is given a choice. Do you think that that's a I valid? Think so. I mean, the thing is, we're, we're, yeah, we're, as we're going through this, I've not really been talking about like, oh, this is because it's it's, it's because of this, and this is because of, of this kind of thing. But we probably should talk about that. Like, why? The, is, the thing is, like, I I would love to save all that for the ending, mm. but then. Basically, I'm just spitting out a bunch of facts until yeah. then. And yeah. I think we should probably be talking about those things as we go through because they are recurring, which makes me more inclined to believe that they are done on purpose as opposed to incidental. Yeah. So it's like, for example, going all the way back, rewind blah, 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 to Christopher Eccleston's bad accent and everyone's bad accent and weird acting in this. It's like, because I think, yeah, it's, it's a take on video game voicing, isn't it? Uh, in a sense, it's like weird, if you're going like, to quote, Kojima and then like yeah weird Metal Gear solid kind of acting you know like just really weird lines and stuff well even at the end Ian Holm is complaining about his accent yeah yeah saying oh that accent was terrible I can barely understand myself (laughs) yeah that is definitely something and so yeah Defoe is obviously playing a character in the game and I wrote a big thing down about this at the end but I feel like the ball is kind of dropped in the, in this because because okay so we find out at the end everyone has actually been playing a game and they're complaining about their acting and their lines and stuff but William Defoe seems to have a choice obviously for him to get to the next level he needs to take out Allegra or something like that like for him his win condition is to obviously stop Allegra is it I guess so here's the thing throughout this whole thing Pico wants to know what is the objective. And there's a great scene later on, and I'll probably mention it again when we get there, where Allegra says, we don't know, we have to play to know. Yeah, yeah. Another point you're talking about, exactly. And she references it to being like life. Yeah. You don't know, you have to make your choices and deal with them as best you can. But at the same time, there are specific things that characters have to say or do in order to progress the game. And that was the weird thing. It's like, you can't have NPC-level basic AI characters if they're real people. Throughout the, the thing, they make a point of it. you got to call them by their name first. Like, you need, like, a code word to initiate conversation, and you got to say the right thing to move the dialogue forward, as you do in video games. But if they're being played by real people then why are they so cardboard? I just didn't understand that part, and I felt that that wasn't thought through in this movie. That that was kind of a weird thing. I think that that was done on purpose just to alert us that they are in a game, Mm. or to make the game feel more like a game. Otherwise, it would just be a movie, and then we pop out and... That's true. I mean, so if it's just done to make because be, because movie, then okay, I can I can under, understand that, but I still don't like it because like Nourish is in the game, the guy who right. actually makes the game, and there's parts where he's just blank faced and he won't respond until he's well, called. even before that, the game store owner who we get that yeah. whole exposition in front of is a person. Yeah, exactly. It's like, but, but why are they just idling? Basically, it's like, are they playing the game or not? I, I, I they do. I think. The way they've envisioned it, though, is even when you're playing a character, sometimes you can't do anything until you are given the right bit of dialogue. So there's a good chance that uh, there's a point later I want to bring up about that. But we are only following, let's be very clear, we're only following Pykel's point of view. That's what I think. I, I'm imagining that the, all these other characters have stories that are going on beyond what we're seeing. I hope at least that that's what it is. And this is really... Yes and no, because Exton says that he's he's out of the game right away. Well, he did die immediately, yeah. Okay, but, so that's possible. But um, here's the weird thing. Everybody seems to be able to watch the whole game. Yes. Or is it the type of thing where it's like dead by daylight? Once you die, then you can spectate. Sure. I would like to believe that. I don't... 
my honest opinion, they didn't think that through. Yeah. Yeah. But let's take this modern viewpoint and say, once you're out of the game, you do actually get to watch. Yeah. No so, respawn, just you get to spectate. Gas got taken out early, he gets to watch. Eccleston gets taken out early, he gets to watch. Even the store owner gets taken out, so he does get to watch. Nourish is the problem. Because I feel like he, as the host, maybe somehow gets to see the whole game. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think, yeah. I think by the end of it, though, I think the the game is very organic, literally with the controllers and programmed mechanically as well. Because by the end of the movie, he's like, "Oh, I didn't like how that game turned out." It's like, "Well, you programmed it. How do you not like it?" Because the people get to choose what happens in the game, and that obviously, every time you play this game, it must change depending on who you're playing with, which is a really cool idea for a game. I like that. I kind of explained that part away. Like, why does no one know what's going on? Because even in this, Jennifer Jason Lee throughout the whole movie is just like, you programmed this game. Why do you not know what's going on? Or why do you not know how to get to the end? It's like, you made this. It doesn't make any sense. But by the end of it, it's like, ah, okay. So it's like a, a living, breathing game where every choice you make changes the outcome and changes the game. So there's a huge branching off of choices and it might not even be the same game you play next time it's like it's only this type of type of game because jude law and jennifer jason lee are playing it that's what they imply yeah so that's an interesting theory let's kind of get to that a bit more again towards the end i i really want to talk theory at the end we got to get to the trout farm oh well before we do that we've got to go to the ski club where ian holm as kiri uh, offers to hide her and is dissecting her fleshy pod to fix it. There's a lot of neural damage, apparently. And this is where they talk about the pod being grown from amphibian eggs and altered DNA, and it's powered by the user. Which makes sense. That, that's fine. <laughs> so it's really going to be powered by, like, Code Red Mountain Dew and <laughs> Hot Pockets and those kinds of things. <laughs> it's time to put in a new port so that he can uh Pico can now play again my question if she trusts kiri so much why didn't she play with him yeah it seems a much more logical choice but we don't get that so now 40 minutes in now it's time to finally play <laughs> and we get in immediately allegra has different hair and clothes but ted Pico is the same he's wearing like the same fleece jacket everything He's totally enamored with how smooth the transition was and how real it feels. But it's a really awkward world that doesn't feel real. This game shop is totally weird. The floor is just littered with purple and white paper or cards or something he's shuffling through. It's like shredded paper, yeah. The shop just looks weird. It's great in the fact that we can tell which level we're in. Right. We are in a different level in this weird level. But this is where we have our whole thing with the shop owner, where he takes them in the back, says we've got these new... Mini pods. Mini pods. (laughs) And this is where there's a bunch of exposition about how the game works, and you need to say the right line to get the game to move, to progress. And I think his name is Darcy, the owner, where his head is just moving around in a circle and waiting he's in a loop waiting for them to say something they basically then decide to go into a deeper level of the game we already know now that a game can have multiple levels right very aware of it this mini pod gets sucked right into their back this is your part about jude law licking her 
Doesn't lick it. He puts his tongue inside it. It's like that is just weird, man. Why would you do that? <laughs> because it's what his character would do. Yeah, well, that's true. At least that's the explanation he gives. Yeah. So we're now at the trout farm. Pike is holding like a dead frog creature. Yep. There are conveyor belts going around. He looks at his ID tag. He's now Larry Ashen, I think. We're on some sort of weird, disgusting game pod factory. This really reminded me of um, Edith Finch, but you haven't played it yet. So there's a bit in Edith Finch where you're working in like a salmon factory. And there's no, there's no spoilers. It's just it's just one of the levels. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what happens. But yeah, it was just like, wow, this is really, yeah, very Edith Finch. But yeah, this is where we meet Nourish for the first time, I think. Yes. Yeah. He's essentially a co-worker. He's also cutting up things. Yeah. Pike lets his character take over, which was something that he found very schizophrenic before kind of disorienting but now he's starting to feel more comfortable in the game i guess so he's allowing it to happen he packs up some organs in a brown paper bag basically marking it la he does this by letting his character take over yeah i loved i don't know why this really stuck with me and even now today i'm remembering it i didn't write it down but as i watched i was like that is the coolest tape dispenser ever do you remember that it's like do you know what I'm talking about, yeah? Isn't it on a tuna can? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in like a, it's in one of those like, it's not a tuna can because they're circular usually. It's in one of those like a square, sardine can. sardine can. Yeah, it's just like a sardine can. I, I don't know. I want one of those. <laughs> I don't know why. I just really like that tape dispenser. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I'll be sure to let your wife know. Yeah, Christmas is coming. <laughs> so yeah, so, so, so Nourish says, go to the Chinese restaurant. Order the special. Don't take no for an answer. Right. And this is where he goes to find Allegra, who is now in this part of the game, what, Barb Reckon. Yeah. And this is where she's stuck in a loop. And he says something, and she says the same thing twice. This alerted me, even the first time, they're in a game. But we know at this point they're in a game. But something about this hinted to me that they were possibly in a game already. Right. And I'm not sure exactly why it does that. I think perhaps because as a player, she should never be in a loop. This time around, I was paying even more attention and trying to decide what is the situation going on here. Is she doing that because she's just a character within this game? Or is she doing that because she's always been a character in the game? And that's kind of what I'm stuck on, is that she's always been a character in the game. Right. I never thought about it that way, actually. But I, I would say... No, it makes sense. Like, once you delve into a mini game, let's say, then all the people playing that game are now NPCs. That would make sense to me, at least, and it would, it would make me less upset by this loop that people get stuck in. Like, once you, you download together, and then once you go into your own little zone, everyone else is in their zone, and they're all heroes in their own games, but their personalities have been downloaded as NPCs into your personal game. And that's why they get stuck in loops and stuff like that. That would make sense, actually. I think that's a bit me filling in the gaps. Yeah. I don't think that that's necessarily the way that it was intended. But but it's in there for a reason. I mean, right. And Cronenberg made a choice. Like, okay, you have to look like you're a character stuck in a loop. Like, why? Yeah. For me, I think if I was to go from what I suspect is the intended purpose here is to show that even real people in the game are subject to the rules of the game. So even Allegra, who let's assume is a person going all the way through, Mm -hmm. that even Allegra as a person 
if we assume she is a person. Even she is subject to these rules of, I have to wait for a certain amount of dialogue or the certain right words to move on myself. But yet Jude Law never does. We never see that. Yeah. And that's what I think with the people playing the game, they don't ever see their waiting time. Themselves, yeah. Time doesn't have the same kind of meaning here as it does in the real world. And they do say that. They say like, oh, I was in, how long was I in there for? It's like... 20 minutes. 20 minutes, yeah. It felt like three hours. Like You could spend an entire lifetime in the machine and you could live several lifetimes in there, basically, right. is what they say at the end. Which I think is an interesting concept. Very, so, very Black Mirror? Yeah. So I think that's why it's there. But it does pose all these different questions of if she's not real or if she's playing that way, what way is it supposed to be intended? Right. And this moment is one of the most interesting for me moments in the whole movie because this totally, the first time, totally took me by surprise. Mm -hmm. And I was not expecting. We go to the Chinese restaurant. <laughs> the special is only for special occasions. Oh, well, it's her birthday. <laughs> okay, then specials for everyone. And then everyone the whole, wants whole table takes off. So clearly not special. Or too special. Everyone who leaves, though, I suspect actual npcs yeah because i don't i don't recognize any of them from the the end part yeah so that's very interesting npcs do exist proper npcs but they're gone yeah because even even the chinese guys that are smoking the cigarettes playing the card game you know they they just look at him after he does what he does and then there's mm, whatever go back to playing cards again so yeah there's definite npcs in the game for sure but this is also where Pykel wants to pause the game <laughs> in the game he has to scream yeah that, that was just weird as well. It's like, I hope that's not how you actually have to pause in this game. Yeah, yeah. He basically is complaining he feels disconnected, even when he's out yep. into what we're supposed to believe is the real world. Mm -hmm. He says nothing feels real. Allegra is excited by that and says, well, good, you're in the game. You're hooked now. You want to come back. Basically, she makes out with him. Or this, this is where they start kissing. Yeah. Well, it's not the first time they did that in the back of the shop because that's what their characters would do. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but this just feels like a Cronenberg moment, right? Yeah, because like, even here, we're, we're led to believe that this is the real world. And even I wrote down, like, why would she just kiss him like that? She doesn't even know who he is. It doesn't make sense. But again, it does make sense by the end. Yeah, so they go back to the Chinese restaurant. And I wrote down, man, you do not want to be eating dinner when you're watching this movie. Unless you really like awkward <laughs> seafood platters. <laughs> this creature we've seen multiple times, this two-headed creature. For me, this was also, especially this time around, was a real indicator. Oh, yeah, they're in a game because of this weird creature. She saw it when they were at the gas station. She was kind of wandering off and admiring the world. And that, that, that made me think, like, okay, even the first time I watched this, that made me think, like, okay, this, is, this can't be real. Because she's, like, throwing the stone at the thing. She's listening to, to the sound. She's got this look of wonder on her face, like, wow, this is really, this looks really real. And yeah, a two-headed, weird amphibian creature walks along and it's like, okay, we're not in the real world at this point. I don't, I don't, I can't believe it. I didn't get that the first time around, but this time around, definitely when she started walking off, I went, okay, they're already even this early on trying to say that. Right. I didn't get that the first time. This time though, yeah, that, I was very aware of that. But this two-headed creature made me go, uh, there's something a bit, well, already the fleshy pods was one thing, but this <laughs> creature was something else. Right. And now here it is in the dish but i don't think he has to eat that one he has to eat everything else in it and start pulling out the very familiar pieces of the gun it's very obvious right away 
what he's pulling out and what he's doing. I love this scene, even though it's pretty disgusting. I, I don't know why, but I love this scene. Like, just him, just the way he gets into everything and he's just like, I don't, and she's like gagging at looking at him and she's like, this is horrible, but, but I have, I to, have to do it. I just, I really like this scene. It's like Jude Law really makes a meal of it. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't build up just for that joke. I do actually like this scene. But yeah, it, like you said, we know exactly what he's doing. As soon as he pulls out that first bone, you're like, oh, okay, this is this is him. He's going to do one of those bone gun tricks. All right, awesome. And then he even pulls out like a bridge from his mouth of his own teeth. Which she asks, do you have one in real life? He goes, no, nope. I have perfect teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really like this disgusting scene. It was pretty awesome. He points the gun to her head, says death to the demoness. She says, stop joking, points the gun somewhere else. Things go kind of crazy at this point. He shoots the waiter. In the face, twice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Messes up his ear the first time. The gun gets chopped from the giant cleaver that the waiter has in his pants. Yeah, it's tucked into his belt kind of thing. And because of that, I think that's his downfall because then all the ammo seems to fly out yeah 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 essentially like the sawed off shotgun yeah right so it, <laughs> that takes him out we go to the kitchen well after Pykel does his everything's fine here and all the npcs <laughs> go back to normal yeah so just a, just a, a disagreement over the uh the check like Yep, that's explained. And then the dog, of course, picks up the gun. And that's quite important, though. That uh, is important. And then they go to the kitchen. Here is Nourish, who's going to explain everything about how they're breeding these mutant fish amphibians. They're apparently delicious, though Jude Law didn't think so. And they're trying to stop cortical systematics. Right. Which is, as we're going to understand, they are the opposing company to antenna which is the one that's making existence this group that nourish is running or i guess we can assume is running is the realists they're against gaming we go back to the game shop the owner is now dead and just lying back in the stockroom hugo who is the worker there says that the waiter was supposed to be their connection they shouldn't have killed him there's all sorts of double agent issues going on that we don't know exactly this is where, for me, the first time around in particular, I didn't know what was going on anymore. I was so baffled. There were so many twists that I was... Yeah, so many double crosses, like the double, double, double cross. Like, what? Who's... What? Which they reference at the end. This character actually references at the end. That end part was very confusing. There's just so much going on. He says that Nourish is a double agent for Cortical. So he's not actually for the realist. He's actually working for Cortical. We go back to the factory... We see the diseased-looking pod, and it's my understanding that what they want to do at this point to win the game is to have Allegra plug in, get the virus, and then start plugging herself into other game pods, which will spread the virus. This doesn't happen because Nourish comes in with a flamethrower. He burns everything. Well, he, he burns the pod, which cast these black spores on everything. Which was really hilarious. The, the acting in that part, I was like, wow, amazing acting. Like, he's like, no, spores, deadly spores. <laughs> what? <laughs> but the flamethrower falls onto dry hay, which just happens to be there. Whole place goes up. Yep. We go out a world and, oh, well, I guess I should say that Nourish died at this point in this part of the game. 
That's why the flamethrower falls onto the ground. She stabs him in the back. Oh, that's right. She stabs him with that knife thing, yeah. So we go to the outer world. Allegra's in a panic. She somehow brought the disease back with her and has now infected her pod. She has a hypodermic that she's trying to... She, like, injects medicine. She's trying to save her pod. She also has a thing to try and help Ted Peichel out as well. It's like an anti-fungus thing. Because his whole port has been infected as well because of this. But it doesn't work. The game pod dies. She thinks Kiri did it. And there's a whole talk about what's going on there. Boom. Explosion happens. Hugo, the guy from the game shop, is now a soldier. And I love that Jude Law has to say at this point, oh, it's the cashier. Yeah. Because we've only seen him for a tiny amount of I time. Did, I didn't recognize him <laughs> at all. So it's probably good that he does, but it seems very clunky yeah. in the scene. But yeah, here's a soldier. The uprising has begun. He shoots the pod, so now it's definitely dead. Paykel says that he thinks that they might still be in a game that's not reality. Hugo is like when they're outside, there's all sorts of gun and fireworks going off and he says now you can see everything the victory of the realists and Paiko says he senses something has slipped over the edge that this is all wrong kiri comes out of nowhere shoots hugo and with that same bone gun and saying i think that the dog brought it to him yeah and kiri says that he's copied existence they want allegra to come to cortical he now works for cortical he's switched sides yeah and she shoots him Says, well, he was messing with my head and messing with the game. I don't like him. He's just a character anyway. Yeah. And Paco's like, but what if it's not a game? I don't understand. Like, that was a theory. I don't know for sure. There's this whole kind of like, he's one of them. And this is where Paco points the gun at her. And she says she knew he was an assassin way back from the restaurant where he pointed the gun at her. And I'm like, why? If he, if he knew, why have you... A lot of movie has happened between then and now, if you really knew that that was what was going on. She also has this weird magic button, which just happens to blow up Paykel. Well, it's a detonator from the thing, isn't it? From the what? Like, when she plugs in the, the sporocyte into his back, it kind of breaks off in his spine, yeah? He's left with a little kind of seal on his back. Ah, so it wasn't... That's, that, that's the handle. So it wasn't a sporocyte thing that she had planned that yeah yeah she planned ah, that from okay. the start yeah that makes much more sense then i missed that i was still this time going just still thinking oh, that was medicine just all of a sudden like boom well yeah all right, i thought <laughs> i thought did, did the gun backfire in some way <laughs> i didn't quite get that but no. now that yeah. you said that that makes complete sense now that that's a much more logical thing so then she did know why did she take so long to and why did she make out with him as well in the meantime like okay movie <laughs> <laughs> All right, but yeah, there we go. So he's dead. She asks the world if she won. As she's turning around, you get some cuts where now suddenly she has a purple thing on her head. She has a purple thing on her wrist. Yeah. We're now out into the church. And more, as soon as you saw that, it's like, oh, it's like more kind of what we would recognize as VR tech. It's like, oh, what's going on here? Yeah. We're getting closer and closer. Yeah. They have a debrief about the game. This is where they start talking about, oh, my accent was bad. Yeah. Excellent. like, well, it wasn't much fun for me. I was out within like five seconds. I didn't really feel like I had much of a character. This is where we really start. I, I think before we jump into Super Theory, real quick, the ending is pretty brilliant. We've known the whole time, like twice before, a dog has dealt with guns. Yeah. He's got his dog there. 
remove this secret coat. There are two guns in there. We're going to take out Nourish and Sarah Polly. Except now instead of death to the demoness, death to the demon. Yeah. And <laughs> the company is now no longer um, Antenna. It's Pilgrimage. Yeah. And it's not Existence. It's now, what is it? Transcendence. Transcendence. That's right. But also with weird capital letters, yeah. capital C, capital Z. And at the very end, they ask, are we still in the game? Well, the Chinese waiter does. Yes. Yeah. Just as, as well, he's likely about to die. Mm. They talk about in their debrief, though. And this is where I, I kind of want to go back to the debrief. They talk about the game. And this is where, I guess, this is where you shine. So what do you want to talk about with this? First of all, when they come out, then they're doing the debrief. What I thought was so on the money is like, this is 1999. This is like before cell phones had really taken off. Everyone just automatically is like, yeah. Okay, and then boom, they just all are, do you notice that they're all just looking, staring right down into their phones? That is incredible. That is, that is exactly how people behave today. That is so on the money, it gave me a chill. Like, he's not only got the kind of tablet formula correct of how our phones are today, but he's got our attitude of how we just instantly zone out of something once we're not interested anymore, and we're just heads down on our phones. Like, did you notice that part? I did notice it at that point, but I noticed it later when Nourish was talking to Sarah Polly. Right. And everybody was like looking. It looked like they were all looking at a tablet. Yeah. And so I did. It did kind of click like, well, we wouldn't have been doing that back in no those way. days. No way. That's that's some serious good foresight. I, I thought that was incredible, even though it's just, it's just a minor, minor detail. And maybe he didn't think. Maybe he's like, oh, this is maybe what's going to happen. But it's like, bang, you nailed it. Big time. 20 years later, totally Exact, exact. They get out of there, and then, yeah, I don't know. So the, the, the Chinese way, have you seen the alternate ending? No, I don't think I have, because, <laughs> I mean, this is how old I am. I watched it on VHS, so yeah. we didn't get extras on the VHS. Well, I had to look it up online, but there is, like, a really rough cut with, like, you know, time stamped and stuff, where they shoot the Chinese waiter. And I can understand why they removed that from the ending. The way that they've ended it is really leaves you thinking like oh are they in a game or is this reality and also it gives them a little bit of humanity like you can say okay well i believe that they didn't shoot the waiter or some of you can say well i believe that they did shoot the waiter then didn't really kill anyone else well i also find really weird well they killed nourish and i mean yeah but they didn't kill any of the i'm gonna like put my inverted commas hands in here but they didn't kill any any other of the innocent people you know what i really like about this is (laughs) like but they're they're innocent. They're just making a game. But I mean, they're evil in their eyes because that's what they say. They're like you know, politically, are yeah, they think yeah that so, they're evil, but they're not really evil. No, because what's it? He says he's like, are you willing to? What's this? What does he say? Are you willing to pay or suffer for all the hurt you caused mankind or something like that? Isn't it? That, that that's his line. But that's what I, I found that really interesting about this movie is that reality is violence. You know, like human nature is violence. Like. Throughout this whole game, this this game is probably made for peaceful purposes to let people escape reality and, you know, fly with unicorns. But they've brought in this violent element into this game. And no matter where they go in the game, violence is always the solution, you know? Like, in the real world, guns are the answer. And I think that's a really important theme to this movie, where violence is the solution. But actually, the game is very, it should be very peaceful and very nice. But these two people who are like, oh, we're doing it for the reality, but their way to prove their cause is to kill people. And that is 
really, really interesting to me. I thought that was kind of on on the money as well, like as a theme. Along with that is Nourish when he's talking to his assistant or whatever, mm. basically is saying that game worried him because of what it became. Mm-hmm. He didn't design it to be about realism versus gaming. Yeah. Somebody in the group must have brought that concept in, which makes this kind of game very hard for me to understand. But I think that it does tie into what you were saying. These two possibly turned it into a violent game. I'm not sure what fun a peaceful game would be where the guy just gets to pretend to be a gas station attendant. (laughs) And the other guy just works at a game store. Well, people still play Second Life, man. So, um... Maybe. (laughs) But I don't think it'd be the type of thing people would worship over. Exactly. I mean, and this is only one iteration of the game that we're getting, you know? Perhaps... In another one, it's like superheroes flying around, saving people. You know, maybe it's a nice, happy thing where there's still, you know, elements of danger and stuff, but everyone gets to be a good guy rather than double-crossing each other all the time. It's like these two people who've came into this meeting to sabotage it and to murder the creators of the game have brought in this really horrible element into it of disease, double-crossing, violence, like uber-violence. When that Chinese guy gets shot in the face, it's so over-the-top. It's such a scanner's moment, but it's it's there for a purpose. And that's kind of why I like this movie, despite all of its flaws. And if you watch it a, a first time, you'll be like, oh man, this act- acting is really weird. It's like, yeah, it's all done for a reason. It's like all the over-the-top violence, all the weird bits, everything makes sense. I think for the first time, I can actually put my hand in my heart and say a David Cronenberg movie made sense to me, you know? Um, but this does, it all makes sense because in the context. So it is a game. I think, one of the things that we, we've talked about is the fact that they were kissing at times, which it didn't seem to make sense. But we do find out at the end that they are a couple. And so then throughout the whole game, right. that might be their real selves coming through. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't understand is, do they know who they are the whole time that they're playing? Like who their real selves are? Because I started to get the feeling, especially the first time I watched it, that these people somehow lost sense of who they really were once they're in the game. I think that's the case, man. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Because otherwise you could, well, game the system. If you knew what your purpose was and if you knew who you really were, you would just play along with it or something like that. Like, he's he's, he's genuinely freaked out by it at points and it takes him half the movie to get into his role. Right, and that's what I don't quite understand. It feels like that shouldn't be the case. It is his first time, I guess. Um, no, but I mean the fact that you can't lose a sense of who you are when you're in the game. It's great for suspension of disbelief, obviously, if it does that to you. But that is the danger, which I think that if there is anything that he's trying to warn against is that, that there's a danger of being too caught up in the game and forgetting that reality exists. Yeah. And if you are taking away people's identity as they enter the game and a bit of their agency and control, then there is a very likelihood that people in this kind of virtual reality would forget that reality existed. Yeah, they would become totally disassociated, yeah. Which is maybe what they're fighting against. And that's the thing, we don't really get to see the bigger picture. We don't get to see the effect that this has caused on humanity. We do get to see it in Videodrome, though, and this is basically Videodrome Part 2 more or less, to me anyway. So it's like, if he's following that theme, if maybe this is the Videodrome universe, man, who knows? 
And if that's the case, then, and they've moved on from television, then, yeah, I could see why people would be against that and would want to take it down. This is, again, tying the church into, they go to the church to be in the game. In Videodrome, they went to the church as a kind of shelter right. to watch TV. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think the two movies are very linked. Uh, I, pro- probably done on purpose. It's not It's not Videodrome 2, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's set in the same kind of universe and it's uh, and it's just a continuation of that. Because what was Videodrome? 83? And this is, what, 15 years later then? Something like that? 17 years later? And ra- rather than TV as a focus, they've moved on to VR. Yeah, makes sense to me in my tiny little mind. One thing that I find, especially since you've mentioned Matrix, was the point you made earlier, that you could live a bunch of lifetimes because you could do so much more in a faster time in this setting, in this game. Not true of our current games. Well, sort of. Mm. But a day doesn't feel like a day. Right. (laughs) Yeah, you can play through a week in half an hour in some games, but it feels like half an hour doesn't feel like... In fact, it almost feels like if you're having fun... The time has gone faster than, yes. than that. It's the opposite effect. Yeah. We need to somehow reverse that. <laughs> but I think it's a very interesting concept that this is done here and also in Matrix, the idea that you can live more time virtually and faster than you could out here in the physical fleshy world. Mm-hmm. The concept of in Matrix that you could learn whole skill sets within about 10 minutes, they're basically hinting at the same thing here. And wouldn't it be great if that could be something? It really isn't a main point to what they're saying. No. But to me, it is one of the more interesting points and the more interesting concepts. And as you said, kind of Black Mirror-esque concept of how many lives could you live in one life like this? And similar time period was uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, where there's a whole Picard episode, which basically deals with this concept as well. Oh, yeah, they had that hologram. Graph, holograph, holograph, like a holodeck. They, yeah, they. they it, it, this one, the one I'm thinking of, isn't a holodeck one, but as basically his mind is taken over by this probe. Ah, uh, okay. So I remember, I remember an episode where Picard. They go back to like 1950s gangster style, and Picard's no, in his like no. suit. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah. He did the whole. <laughs> there was a character he played constantly as some sort of noir thing. That's not what I'm talking about. Ah, uh, okay. There's a whole episode where he basically has a whole nother life. Okay, okay. Within the span of an episode. Ah. And it's really brilliantly done. It's one of the best kind of standalone episodes, which is its own thing. It seemed very much a concept of that time. Right. We don't have enough time. Is there a way we could have more time? And who would we become if we could live multiple lives within one life? Mm. And how would it change us? And I know it's not the main thing going on here, but in a way it is. How many games have we played even just for the podcast this year with games on top of it? In a way, we've lived many lives. We've watched many movies. We read books. We listen to stories. All these stories, in a way, through our imagination, have become other lives that we've lived. And is that what they're trying to say? Like, with all of these things all happening around the same period of time, were they all trying to say that these stories could give us more to life? Or were they just really focusing on... The idea that going through a sort of virtual reality is certainly not prepared for virtual reality in 1999, but getting there now, could it get to the point where we could have this kind of life with multiple lives within one? Well, I can't say anything now. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that? It's the the end of the episode right there. Uh, Yeah, man.
Let's, uh, gaps filled the more gaps created, for sure. You just cut everything I was just saying. Well, you, we could, we could. No, that's good, man. That's that's great. That's exactly. I don't have anything else to say. So you've just. Th- you've, uh, oh, I, was gonna say, I mean, we can. That's, that's we could. We could killer. splice your uh, <laughs> your other thing earlier. No, no, no. That's great. Uh, I, 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 I just wanted to do that for comedy, anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> Next time. Today we're going to discuss a puzzle game called Safe Cracker: The Ultimate Puzzle Adventure. Oh, this one has no time limit. This one has no time limit, but the, the original was like, you've got to beat it in 12 hours or it resets, which I don't know how that went down. Because we'd been talking about doing this for years. This was one of the first games yeah. on our list back before we even began. Yeah. I find the Steam forums are great, but searching through the Steam forums is not great. Right, yeah. Safecracker is a game where basically you have to do a lot of Puzzle boxes, I guess, would be the way to put it. Crack safes? Yeah, you're cracking safes, but the safes are not. It's not like you're just sitting there with 35 dials <laughs> and a stethoscope. You're having to actually figure out puzzles. Yeah. One of them was the cipher. It seemed to have no clue around for me to solve it. And then I got to the magnet puzzle. <laughs> yep. All this and more on the next episode of Filling in the Gaps.